With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 15. On this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15, we'll see which rays are poised to shine in fantasy. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three cold uh, brews yet. It works great. In a fantasy I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, February 19th. I'm Al Melkier, and I am here today with Derek Van Riper and only Derek Van Riper. Uh, so DVR, we're going to uh, wing this one without any beat writer help today. We're going to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays uh, and uh, could be a tough one to, to squeeze into 15 minutes. There's really a lot to talk about with this team. Yeah, tons of interesting storylines, a lot of questions about playing time and roles. So it makes for great fodder for us. Uh, that it does. That does. So, um, well, let's uh, start off with uh, the the hitting side of things. And I think we absolutely need to start with Randy Rosarena because he was the big story for much of 2020. So uh, he's going, you know, fairly high in, in drafts so far. Uh, are you on board with uh, how the, the community is viewing Rosarena or do you think maybe we need to pump the brakes a little bit? I mean, ADP has been around the pick 50 to 55 range. Over the last couple of months, looking at the early NFBC drafts, I'm comfortable taking the chance there, but he's risky. He's one of the more risky top 50 or top 60 players you can have in the pool simply because he hasn't spent that much time in the big leagues. I think the big question with Randy Arozarena is what kind of adjustment phase is he going to have to go through? If you look back at StatCast numbers, all of the regular season home runs he's hit so far in his big league career have come against fastballs. So... How much does that matter? How much will things be adjusted? How many more breaking balls and off-speed pitches will he see? And can he drive those pitches as well as he's driven fastballs to this point? Part of what makes me comfortable taking the chance, though, Al, he can steal bases. And if you can fall back on that skill, if the power goes away, if the batting average slips for a stretch, I think he at least has the speed to fall back on if it all goes well. We could be talking about a guy that's a 25-homer, 20-steal type player, and the projection systems actually like him more than I expected for a player with such a limited big league track record. Yeah, and if he does come through with that power-speed combination, then uh, certainly justifies the the current ADP for him. And going not too much later than him is Brandon Lau. Uh, 71 is his current ADP in NFBC drafts. And part of that, I think, is driven by the way that second base is distributed. But uh, that, too, feels like sort of a risky pick that early on. Uh, How do you feel about that ADP for Brandon Lau? You know, we saw Lau improve what was his greatest weakness coming out of 2019 during the shortened season. He cut the strikeout rate from 34.6% down to 25.9%. He's always been pretty good at drawing walks. He drew more walks than ever in the shortened season. I think what I'm concerned about with Brandon Lau is that we saw teams figure him out in the postseason. He went from being one of the Rays' 
most potent bats to a guy that really didn't come through very often when they really needed someone behind Randy Arozarena to step up throughout the postseason. So I just wonder if he's kind of going through the second level of his adjustment phase now that teams have gotten another look at him and kind of seen some of the changes he made to his approach. At price, I think I'm okay with Brandon Lau, but in the handful of early drafts that I've done, I've stayed away from him to this point. I'm really curious to see how they make the pieces fit. You know, is Brandon Lau going to move off second base to accommodate Wander, or is Lau actually locked in? Is he in danger of losing some playing time against same handed pitching as a lefty? I think that's a little bit of a risk that's lurking in the background with him, too, especially when you look at how much lefties owned Brandon Lau in 2019. Like, those splits were brutal. So, if he were to fall into the big side of a platoon, at that price, you'd be disappointed by the overall volume of playing time, even if Brandon Lau effectively mashes against righties. Yeah, well, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind if you're at that stage of the draft where looks like Lau could come off the board and you're you're thinking about uh, adding him to your roster. So something to think about. Uh, but let's move to the outfield for a moment. Uh, Manuel Margot is sort of intriguing, and I've seen him come up in some early drafts as a a late round flyer for steals. Do you think that that's enough to make him viable in say a, a 12 team league? Uh, given that I don't think you can really necessarily count on much other than the steals. Yeah, I wouldn't expect a lot more than that categorical contribution. I think there were some flashes of potential power growth from him at times during the 2020 season, even though it wasn't reflected in the regular season slugging percentage. It was really more in the postseason. Again, we're dealing with really limited samples, so it's hard to say if there's anything to that that we can hold on to going forward. But if you look back at full seasons we've seen from Margo in the past, it hit 13 home runs back in 2017 in San Diego, popped 12 homers in 2019 also with the Padres, and that was in kind of more of a semi-regular role. And I think he's more of a 25 to 30 steal threat. So I do like him where he's going as a possible way of, of making up some ground in the stolen base category. But I do think he's likely going to share that role more than we would like him to if we're chasing him for speed. So uh, an overall solid pick, but I don't know if there's going to be all of those things happening at once. I don't know if we're going to get an 18 homer and 30 steal season at the same time from Margo. It's probably one or the other. Uh, but this is a team that the rotation has more questions than ever, Al. Like, I look at this team and I think, okay, yeah, you traded away Blake Snell and maybe you you absolutely maxed out on the possibility of, of getting the best possible return because he signed for a few years at an affordable price. But which starters, if any, do you trust? Because the way Eno asked me this question on rates and barrels recently was, if you assume that Tyler Glasnow and Ryan Yarbrough lead the Rays in innings, they're 1-2 in some order, who the heck finishes third in innings when you look at this depth chart? Yeah, that's that's a really tough one. I did give that a little bit of thought. Uh, but, you know, the two that you mentioned, Tyler Glasson and Ryan Yarbrough, I feel like for where they're going, they're both fairly safe. I, I know that there are a lot of people in our community that have questions about Glasnow's durability and for good reason and for the innings that he's going to provide. But I think that the upside justifies uh, where he's going. And Ryan Yarbrough is just somebody that I've really liked for a couple of years. I'm actually glad to see him have the opportunity to to probably get some more innings in 2021, given all the question marks in the rotation and the number of pitchers that uh, 
may not uh, you know be able to take a turn uh, every five days or you know may may be an injury risk so Yarborough actually may be the one that you could be the most confident in in terms of what his projections are and uh, so I feel really good in fact I already got him in in one league I've just done a couple of uh, drafts for this year and targeted him in in one league so uh, I was happy to get Ryan Yarborough but to get back to your question DVR about who is third in terms of innings I mean I I want to say it's going to be Chris Archer, but it's such a wild card for a pitcher to come off of thoracic outlet syndrome. Of course, he didn't pitch at all in 2020. So that, for me, makes him sort of risky as somebody to count on for for a decent number of innings, much less what kind of performance you get from Chris Archer. So, I mean, I probably would stick with Chris Archer as my answer to that question, but if I could maybe just tuck away another pitcher as a a plan B. It'd be Josh Fleming, who right now doesn't even project to be in the rotation, but he was really good uh, in, in 2020. And I think he'll probably surface at the very least as a spot starter or swing man. So maybe he's, he's 3B, you know, 3B to Archer's 3A. Uh, but I just want to make one other comment about Archer too, because I think that now he is such a risk, both in terms of coming off of that surgery and coming off of a number of disappointing seasons. If you go back and look, a lot of those seasons looks like he really did underperform his peripherals. And if he's healthy, Archer actually could could be pretty good. So I wouldn't mind taking flyer on Archer late. And I wonder, too, since the time that they traded him to Pittsburgh in 2018, how much more likely the Rays are now to manage him you know, with either an opener in front of him or to be a little quicker even than they used to be with the hook on Archer. I mean, I wonder if they're going to do anything that's very Rays-esque with how they manage the workloads of their starters. If we see tandem starters, if we see a lot of IL stints, right? They may run their rotation the way that the Dodgers often do, dropping guys on the IL just to cycle more and more arms in. And part of that's the young starters they have who are coming back from injuries, right? I mean, Brendan McKay is still a relative unknown for the start of the season. Brent Honeywell hasn't pitched a competitive game in a few years. If you get something out of both of those guys, that's a huge win. If you get something out of one, maybe that's more in line with the expectations internally. But then you also have legitimate prospects. We saw Shane McClanahan come up in the postseason last year. He's at least in the mix for some innings, even if he's not in the rotation to begin the season. I think he'll at least make some starts at some point. And then there's Luis Patino, who he kind of fits into the prospect section of this conversation, too. When they traded for him, they, at the time, I don't think had Waka, definitely didn't have Hill, and they definitely didn't have Archer. So they had a lot less depth when they traded for him. I thought there was a good chance they were going to give him a job and let him run with it right away. Do you think he breaks camp with a rotation spot to call his own? Uh, no, I don't. I just think that there's the Rays have done a good job of of rebuilding their depth, and I think that that's going to afford them the opportunity to let Patino uh, just sharpen up a little bit in uh, the upper minors. So I would expect to see him this year, but um, I wouldn't expect him to break camp. I mean, I'm in on Patino as a really late flyer, but I also can't have a lot of players like that stashed away on my bench in a redraft league. So uh, if he remains in the range where he's one of my last picks, I'll take that chance, but you have to be prepared to cut him loose if he doesn't get that opportunity. As far as the closer situation goes, how concerned are you about the way Nick Anderson's season ended? It sounded like he ran out of gas really in the postseason. Given how dominant he's been throughout his time in the big leagues, 
I want to believe in a bounce back, but do you think the postseason was foreshadowing some things to come in 2021? If I say that I know, I'm absolutely lying <laughs> because I'm not quite sure what to make of it. I mean, his uh, reasoning for his performance that I've, I've seen uh, cited in a number of places is, as you said, that he ran out of gas, that he was fatigued. And if that's the case, then I would think that that's not something we'd have to worry about carrying over. But I may be a little bit skeptical that maybe there was something else going on there. But the thing is that if you can combine whatever concerns that you have for that postseason performance with the the way that the Rays just generally manage the back end of their bullpen, it it sort of reinforces any sort of uh, skepticism that you may have or, or um, aversion to going after Rays relievers. It's just one more reason maybe to bump Nick Anderson a bit down on your draft list. So uh, I would be very surprised if I had Nick Anderson on very many, if any, teams this year. I'm comfortable having him. I just want him to be my second closer and not my first closer because of the way the Rays typically have handled saves and because of what we saw at the end of the season. The skills are fantastic, though. If you pair him with someone that you know has a shot at 25 or 30 saves, you could end up winning the category and you're getting a nice ratios boost as well. Absolutely. And uh, now I would agree with you there um, as a second and certainly as a third, if you can afford uh, to uh, get two relievers in front of Nick Anderson, there's uh, no risk there and tons and tons of upside to be sure. But I want to get back DVR to something that you brought up a little bit before, which is the uh, developing infield situation for the Rays this season. You got to figure we're going to see Wander Franco at some point, maybe even early on in the season. Brandon Laufey gets off to a slow start. Maybe he is susceptible to losing some playing time. Uh, you know, what What happens with Willie Adamas? Uh, what happens at third base? Uh, do you have a particular way that you see this playing out? I think Wander Franco is the type of prospect who dictates when he comes up with his own play, his own development. He is a superstar. He could be the Rays' best player very soon after getting the call to the big leagues. And I think he addresses an issue in the lineup that we saw highlighted in the postseason. The Rays struck out too much as a team last year. And even if Wander's power is still a few years away from fully materializing, he's an 80-hit tool sort of player, a guy that comes in, puts a ton of balls in play, hits at or near the top of the lineup, and you, know, you can mix and match at a position. You can move Willie Adames into a super utility role. Maybe you play Brandon Lowmore at third base. You can find a way to make it work. I think the Rays are creative enough to come up with a solution that enables Wander to max out playing time and still gets the best out of the guys who each lose a little bit of playing time once he arrives. I am all in on him for 2021. I think he's going later than he should in drafts, and I want to make people pay for it. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, maybe you'll be lucky enough then to get Wander Franco on several of your teams this year uh, and catch the rest of your league's napping. So uh, that'd be a nice thing for you. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Uh, we're not too far away from the, the bulk of our drafts here. So the, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, but uh, it's been fun chatting race with you, DVR. Uh, unfortunately, we are going to have to wrap up this episode. So uh, if you are enjoying this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 on a platform that lets you leave a rating and a review we would appreciate it if you take the time to do that so uh for derek van riper i'm al melkier and we'll be right back here on monday mm-hmm.